and welcome back to the Past and Present Podcast. This is Kim Groves, hoping you have had a wonderful week. I hope you enjoyed Monday's devotional on the spirit of offense. Today, I'm going to be talking about archaeology in the Valley of Jezreel. Jezreel has re-entered the archaeological news cycle due to a recent find. Today's discussion is going to focus on both this new find and the archaeological discoveries in the Valley of Jezreel. First, let's look at the recent find that has caused renewed interest in the Valley of Jezreel. On January 20th, 2021, the Israel Antiquities Authority released a statement that a 1,500-year-old Greek inscription had been unearthed in Taiba in the Jezreel Valley. The inscription is dedicated to Jesus, the son of Mary. The inscription, carved in stone, came from the frame of an entry door dating from the Byzantine period. It was discovered in secondary use in a wall of a building dating from the Byzantine or early Islamic period. While we don't yet know how it was moved from over a doorway to on a wall, we do know it was originally a doorway to a church. How do we know this? is because the message carved on the stone was one that greeted people upon entry to a church, not a monastery or a convent, and prayed a blessing upon them. This inscription indicates the first evidence of the Byzantine church's existence in the Valley of El Taiba. Now that we have discussed the newest find in El Taiba, let's take a look at some previous archaeology in the Jezreel Valley and talk about the importance of the Jezreel Valley in the Bible. To do this, we will be referring to an article from the July-August 2010 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review entitled Jezreel, Where Jezebel Was Thrown to the Dogs by David Usishkin. So, where is the Jezreel Valley mentioned in the Bible? Now, Jezreel is mentioned in both 1st and 2nd Kings, specifically as the site where Jezebel was thrown to the dogs. Now the story starts when Queen Jezebel, a Phoenician, became consort to King Ahab of Israel. She built a temple to the Canaanite Phoenician deity Baal. Now this leads Ahab and Jezebel into a confrontation with the prophet Elijah. Ultimately, Elijah has a confrontation with the 450 prophets of Baal, ending in the slaughter of the prophets and the victory of Israel's God. The story continues with an unrepentant Ahab desiring the vineyard of Naboth to turn it into a vegetable garden. Naboth refused, causing Ahab to fall into a depression. Now Jezebel did what any good and devoted wife would do because she was distressed so much, she had Naboth tried as a traitor. He was quickly convicted and executed. And Jezebel then suggested to Ahab that he take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Elijah approached Ahab as he was admiring his ill-gotten gain and told him that dogs would lick his blood in the vineyard as well as devour Jezebel. Jezebel's death isn't reported until 2 Kings chapter 9. Ahab has died. His son is on the throne. The prophet Elisha arrives to anoint the general Jehu as the founder of a new dynasty and pronounce a curse on Jezebel. Jehu takes his cavalry to confront Jehoram at Jezreel. When a watchman sees the incoming cavalry, Jehoram gets to, goes to meet Jehu and is killed by an arrow. Jehu has Jehoram's body thrown into Naboth's vineyard. Jezebel sees what is happening and prepares accordingly. When Jehu asks who is on his side, 
Two or three eunuchs look out, and Jehu orders them to throw Jezebel from the window. Jehu then has a meal, remembers Jezebel, and orders her buried, as she is the daughter of a king. However, by this time, her body has already been mutilated by dogs. Jezebel has a unique place in history. She has become a type and shadow of everything bad in humanity, and some would say womanhood. She was hated in antiquity and is still hated today. Now, since we have recounted the story of Jezebel, we can take a look at the archaeological evidence of this story. The area where this story takes place is called Tel Jezreel. A Tel, spelled T-E-L, is basically an artificial rise or hill. The location of an ancient encampment here makes sense as it would allow someone in a tower to see a distance, making it easy to fortify and defend. Tel Jezreel is situated in the eastern part of the Jezreel Valley and has a breathtaking view of the valley to the north and east. To the southeast lies the area where King Saul died in battle with the Philistines. Along the valley beneath Jezreel past the commercial and military highway from Egypt through Megiddo and Beth Shean to Syria and Mesopotamia. Water was readily available from the many cisterns on the site, as well as from En Jezreel, a spring that was just to the northeast. Jezreel has been continually settled since biblical times. Later, a large Byzantine village stood here. During the Crusader period, a large village belonging to the Templars was situated here. Even later, an Arab village sprang up, and in 1948, during the Israeli War for Independence, it was a central base for Arab forces in the Jezreel Valley. Jezreel has been surveyed archaeologically several times in the modern era, but because it is so densely populated, research was difficult, if not impossible. Also, because of the continuous habitation, earlier levels were nearly completely destroyed. In 1987, the game in Jezreel changed. A bulldozer working near the edge of the site accidentally uncovered the remains of two huge towers dating to the biblical period. This was confirmed by salvage excavations done by the Department of Antiquities. We talked about them in one of our first talks together. Salvage uh, excavations being a way to just clear any archeological things that may exist in an old site. These two towers were a jumping off point for further excavation and study in 1990. It was then that Dr. Ushishkin and his colleague John Woodhead began a systematic excavation of the mound. Through six excavation seasons from 1990 until 1996, the two were able to gain a clear, albeit partial, picture of biblical Jezreel. By the appearance and placement of the two towers, there is an assumption they formed the corner towers of a rectangular fortified enclosure. Their position indicated the location of three sides of the rectangle, so some digging of the two towers was able to locate the line of the fourth side. A depression along the line of the wall marked the position of the gate, and that was also uncovered. Digging in this area was slow and frustrating, as in most places, Byzantine, medieval, and intensive modern building activities penetrated down to the bedrock. Through all this, however, we have discovered quite a bit about biblical Jezreel. 
A large fortified enclosure existed here in the 9th century BCE during the reigns of Ahab, Jezebel, and their son Jehoram. It may have even existed in the time of Ahab's father Omri. It was a short-lived structure and was probably destroyed by the Arameans in the later part of the 9th century BCE. This enclosure appears to have been built over the remains of an earlier, probably 10th century BCE settlement, but the only evidence we have for this earlier settlement is in pottery fragments. As a matter of fact, pottery fragments indicate a settlement there dating from the early Bronze III period, circa 2750 to 2300 BCE, and the late Bronze Age, circa 1550 to 1150 BCE. Following the destruction of the Jezreel enclosure, Israelite settlement continued in the ruins during the 8th and 7th century BCE. The fortified enclosure covered an astounding 11 acres. One of the longer sides faced the slope down to the Jezreel Valley. The gate was on the opposite side where entry was easier. The wall of the enclosure was a casemate wall. Casemate simply means there were double walls with small rooms between the walls. The towers projected from the line of the wall. The lower part of the walls were made from smaller boulders and earthen fill. The corners were made of well-cut ashlars. The upper parts of the wall, which were barely preserved, were constructed of mud brick, a popular construction material of the time and the region. An outer ring of fortifications surrounded the enclosure on three sides, except the northern side, which faces the valley. The casemate wall on this side was considered sufficient to protect it. There was also a rock-cut moat nearly 20 feet deep, and the assumption is the entire moat was cut to about the same depth. It measured about 2,000 feet long and 25 to 35 feet wide. Calculations estimate that the construction of the moat required the quarrying of nearly 27,000 cubic meters of stone. A stone revetment built along the inner edge of the moat supported the rampart. The gate was common for the period, a gatehouse with a long roofed over gate passage and chambers flanking either side. In front of the gate, the rock cut moat narrows to 24 feet. Obviously, there was a bridge to provide access, but nothing remains of it. Since no rampart was found in front of or near the gatehouse, there was probably a piazza here. There was little to investigate in the Jezreel enclosure. Fills had been dumped inside the enclosure in antiquity in order to create a more level, elevated surface as a type of podium. There remains of two large buildings near the gate and the northeast tower. In some places, bedrock can be seen near the surface. This indicates that large open courtyards were featured rather than buildings. Poor domestic remains in the ruins of the casemate walls were also discovered. The southeastern tower was destroyed by fire. There are layers of deep destruction debris that fill the central room of the tower. Nine arrowheads Eight of iron and one of bronze indicate the enclosure was destroyed in a military attack. Since the arrowheads were found on the side of the enclosure near the gate, it lends credence to the idea that it was destroyed by the Aramean king Hazael in the second half of the 9th century. This conclusion is born out of a study of the pottery. 
The pottery found in the fills laid at construction matched that of pottery found inside the enclosure when it was destroyed. Now, since pottery styles were changing pretty quickly at this time, the findings clearly indicate the new enclosure was built shortly after the old enclosure was destroyed. An additional biblical link to Ahab and Jezebel is the fact the pottery found dates to the time of Ahab and Jehu. This pottery is similar to pottery located in a controversial stratum in Megiddo. Now, let's take a moment to discuss exactly what stratum are and why they are important. Now, stratum are essentially layers of artifacts. Think of a cake. It's stratum are like layers in a cake. Each layer can be dated based on the type and style of artifacts found. They're usually numbered in order from newest to oldest, from top to bottom. Now, the questioned pottery in the questioned Megiddo stratum had been originally dated to the time of King Solomon. With the discovery of the pottery in Tel Jezreel, it becomes clear the pottery in the stratum of Megiddo is much later than Solomon. What function did this enclosure at Jezreel serve? This is the real question. Assuming the Bible is correct, it was clearly associated with royalty. It wasn't the capital as that was in Samaria. While there has been much speculation about the nature of the Jezreel enclosure, but Dr. Ushishkin believes the archaeological similarities. They were both founded on a summit, bedrock was near the surface, both were enclosed by a casemate wall, and construction fills were taken from previous settlements. There were some differences as well. Jezreel was used for a relatively short period. Samaria was settled for a long period. Jezreel's enclosure encompassed the entire city, while in Samaria only comprised the Acropolis. Jezreel was relatively roughly built, while Samaria was smooth and polished. These differences led the writers to conclude that Jezreel was primarily a military base, while Samaria was the official royal capital. This conclusion is borne out by the fact that Jezreel is located on a strategic summit not far from an international highway. There is a strong emphasis on fortification construction, which reinforces this hypothesis. Jezreel probably served as a central base for Ahab's cavalry and chariot units. Ahab's army must have been large and strong based on surviving records from the most powerful ruler in the world at that time, King Shalmaneser of the third of Assyria. While his army struck fear into the hearts of nations throughout the Mediterranean, a coalition of 12 smaller states challenged him at Karkar in Syria. This coalition included the Kingdom of Israel. In Shalmanser's records, the Israelite army is listed among the largest, including 2,000 chariots and 10,000 foot soldiers. Because of the nature of Israelite chariots, Jezreel was the best possible location for a military base. The valley was an ideal place for chariots to operate, and the horses could be provided for in the fertile soil of Jezreel. Unfortunately, the inside of the Jezreel enclosure has hardly been explored. We do not know if there was a large central building in this supposed base that served as a royal residence, but it is possible. The biblical references to the eunuchs who threw Jezebel from the window and the note that her blood was splattered on the wall give us the strong idea this is so. 
We can only guess at where this royal residence may have been located, but based on Bible references, we theorize it was along the northern side of the enclosure near the gate. This area provided both a breathtaking view and a refreshing breeze. So this area being the place Jezebel was killed is the likely location of a royal residence. I hope you enjoyed this discussion on Jezreel and its ties to Jezebel. Again, today's talk is from the article Jezreel, where Jezebel was thrown to the dogs from the July-August 2010 issue of Biblical Archaeology Review. You can read the article in its entirety at www.baslibrary.org. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at kimg.pastandpresentpodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com and please follow us on our Facebook pages. You have Rebirth Network with a purple heart between the words and Rebirth Encouraged also with a purple heart between the words. Join us on Monday when we will be discussing meditation and memorization. Again, this is Kim Groves, hoping you have a wonderful weekend and stay blessed and unstressed and unbothered by the rest. See you soon.